And the winner is James Gandolfini, The Sopranos. How you doing? <laughs> uh, Miss Parker's never won anything, and I feel the same way. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here, but uh, thank you to the Hollywood Foreign Press. First of all, I'd like to thank the writers of the show. Uh, Robin Green, Mitchell Burgess, Frank Zuli, David Chase are here. To the other ones, thank you very much. Um, to HBO for taking such great care. Uh, to Brillstein Gray, thank you for everything. Um, I'd like to mention Nancy Marchand. She couldn't be here tonight. And I'm standing here because of her. So, thank her. Um, I have to mention my Teamster driver now, Joey Fay, you know, since <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and to the cast. I mean, this is the greatest cast. All, all I realized I had to do last year was memorize the words, go out there, and they'll take me along. And this is why I'm standing here. Um, to my family, thank you for everything. To my wife, Marcy, for giving me the greatest gift I ever had, my son, Michael. And I'm forgetting a bunch of people. Eileen Landris, Susan Aston, Diane Mariani, Harold Guskin, to Christine, and uh, to last, to David Chase, to giving someone like me an opportunity to play a part like this. I'm very proud to be working for you. Thank you very much. <laughs>
And you would think that Iron Man 4 would fall in the middle of that Avengers 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. Now, just because he hasn't signed yet doesn't necessarily mean anything. I know he's hinted around, or, or whether he has or not, the media is going to is going to suspect that he's not coming back just to generate some sort of bullshit story around it. But Disney, between the Avengers and the Iron Man 3, um, it, that's made globally $2.7 billion. Oh, yes. No, they... They've got plenty of money to feed... All the models, including Robert Downey Jr., right. who will who will command the highest salary of all of them. And in his defense, I, I do want to say that his complaints haven't necessarily been around him being paid. I've heard he came to the forefront and asked that some of the other characters, or the other actors, be paid a little better in the films. That What people need to keep in mind with the Avengers, well, what the Marvel movies are, the other movies do okay. Nothing compared to what Iron Man's pulled in, though. Captain America, I don't know if it broke 200 million stateside. And, and Thor is somewhere a little under 200 million. They don't need to break that much because by the time they do movies... I think they're going to do a lot better in the second in, in run certain, because of the event. I, and I totally agree. They have the tie-in. And <clears throat> so in his defense, he was coming to the defense of the other actors and saying, look, pay them because you know what this movie's going to do. Well, and I'll, I'll, give, I'll give some props here to to the big corporation here at Disney and just locking him down. I'm sure it wasn't cheap to lock him down. Oh, God, um, no. But they went in and got him for for the next two sequels to this. But, you know, props to them for acknowledging the fact up front that they've just made $2.7 billion. Mm-hmm. They can afford to pay him. Yeah. And in, in this time where it's just all about the corporate greed, at least they acknowledge that, okay, if we want to keep making money, we actually have to spend the money and lock this But Disney's down. been good about that in the past. Disney isn't overly tight purse about things. Because they, they Not with that. Their, their investment, as you said, they own Marvel. They know what the value of this is. Right. Marvel still is just like Lucasfilm. I guarantee that if it turns out that all the rumors are true, and they appear to be that Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford are going to be in the next Star Wars film, guarantee their payday for signing that contract is going to be pretty damn good. Because the what the, the turnaround in, in terms of dollars is so huge. Sure, Disney will get their money back. They're not going to lose money. And you're sure as hell not going to lose money on investing, we'll say, $40 million. I haven't heard what the exact figures were. Yeah. But I'll just throw $40 million out there to lock him down for the, the Fear Avengers 3. I'm sorry, two, and then another forty or fifty for three. You know, a hundred million—that returns nothing. I mean, they'll 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 make so much money on it. So, sure. I mean, and, and why why get into a uh, a staring match? Right. You know, who's going to blink first? We know who's going to blink first. It's going to be Disney. Especially when you're talking again, the most popular character. Yeah, the they're not gonna, they're not stupid enough to. To go, all right, fine, go, we'll just replace you, because yeah. you can't. And, well, I mean, and this goes back to our discussion. Again, the only one who has any real issue here is Jeremy Renner, because his character is certainly re- one you could recast. Yeah, right, you're right, and, and that issue's his, um, and his alone. Yeah, and that was more of an ego issue. Sure. Which, and, and I'm not saying he's an egotistical bastard, I get where that art, where that could come from. Well, the fact of the matter is, if you keep if you keep getting the offers out there for Hansel and Gretel witch hunters, Jeremy, 
don't be stupid. Right. Don't care what they do with your character. You hop back into this franchise mm-hmm. for your payday. And, and assume that you're not going to get... Your character is not going to have the exact same treatment this time around. Right. I don't just don't see that happening. But now, as far as Downey Jr. is concerned, though, well, this Whedon is when Whedon was holding him over a little bit of a, of, a, of a cliff, too, by saying that he's not going to return unless Robert Downey Which Jr. is interesting, because the amount of money Disney's already thrown at him to oversee these things. Which just shows them how important he feels Downey Jr. is to the franchise. Right. I mean, th- this is the character, this is the dude he was basically saying he wouldn't touch the franchise if they're not going to include him in it. Eventually, we are going to have to come to the realization that, you know, and, and this is presumptuous to say that, that these Marvel films are just going to go on indefinitely. Yeah, like everything else, you got to believe there's a certain window here where sure. we nerds are kind of ruling things a little bit. But Right. And at some point, if you want to keep uh, sticking your hand in this cookie jar, you are going to have to recast yeah. these characters. But the thing with the Avengers is, at least the, the, the property itself has never had a consistent group. I mean, there's always been people coming in and out of it. So Disney slash Marvel Studios has the out where they don't even necessarily need to recast. They could just move Iron Man out, move somebody else in, I, or whatever character they want. There are plenty of superheroes they can pluck from to throw in this. So Absolutely. So, got to bring it down a little bit. The tone down a little bit. Because we've lost another great Hollywood actor. I would say a pop culture icon. Absolutely. Um, a more recent pop culture icon. I mean, last last 15 years or yeah. so. A little later in life um, pop culture icon. But James Gandolfini... Dying in Italy of a heart attack a few days ago. Yeah, on vacation um, with his son, correct? Yeah, son and yeah. sister, I believe. Um, oddly enough, only 51 years old. That's crazy, dude. And I thought he was older than that. But I it's too. because, I mean, again, it's Tony Soprano, Mafia Don here. Right. So you've always pictured him being a bit older. Right. Well, he looked older in some of the stuff that uh, that was non-Soprano stuff. And I, and I, it, this is a failing on my part, but I have never seen one episode of The Sopranos. I've only seen most of the first season, dude, and I, and I liked it a lot. It's just one of those that, because the series is over, I don't feel the well, real th- urge to go right. and sit through it, it now. Or, or more or less the urgency. Right. Oh, and that's I, the better way to put I it. I do want to see it, because I like Mafia stuff like that. I, I love The Godfather, Goodfellas, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Mafia stuff's great. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really just not an urgency thing, because I'm not trying to catch up to anything right. or like that. I'll eventually get around to it. This makes me want to get around to it a little quicker, I guess, just to, you know, as a, as a respect thing or for yeah. some. But uh, but it's sad. And most recently, I think what I saw him in was uh, he was in Killing Him Softly, which I, I didn't like as a movie as a whole. But he was, even though his character wasn't really necessary to that movie, it was, was still the, the best, best character. character there. I'll throw another role that we saw him in, probably even more recently than that, was Zero Dark Thirty. He was yeah. the what the. The one who had to give the approval for the head. Panetta, I believe, mm-hmm. he played. Yep. Uh, he was also in a flick I saw a, f- a couple months ago, Not Fade Away. Again, another movie that just pissed me off and frustrated me to hell because of the, the hippie douchebags mm-hmm. that are in it. And again, a character who wasn't really fleshed out, not to his own fault, but still a very good performance from him. You see, the, the performance for me that I'll always remember is an early, early Gandolfini role. And that true romance, true romance, dude. Where he was the one that basically had to to put the hurt on Rosanna Arquette, and 
not Rosanna, the uh, Patricia Arquette, sorry. Right, right, the other Arquette. And as he's beating the shit out of her, making the comment about how bad he feels about it, but, you know, it's business. And have to do... it. Gandolfini's a huge loss. No matter how you want to spin it, he's a huge loss. Well, and, you know, I, I have no personal experience with the man, but from all accounts, he was uh, pretty genuine, pretty mm-hmm. personable, a nice guy to be around. You know, not one of these... Uh, Hollywood heavyweights that thinks they're too good to, no. to mingle with the I never heard a knock crowd. on, on Gandolfini. <clears throat> yeah, cool. So that's a sad loss for Hollywood and, and pop culture in general. No, definitely. So a lot of big happenings around Amazing Spider-Man. Um, a movie, the first one uh, was a disappointment. To the ninjas, yeah. Yeah, we, we, well, I think to a lot more people than... I wish they'd be more vocal about it. Yeah, I I expected more. Um, it, it wasn't a complete failure, but it, it could have been so much better. It well, was... we liked the casting. <clears throat> we certainly and we liked. We didn't have any issue with the origin story. Everything around the villain. So basically, the entire second half of the film just felt like a piece of shit. Right. But it made a, a shit ton of money. So clearly, they're going to go into the sequel territory and. You're hearing all this news about, oh, this villain's being cast, this villain's being... It sounds like they're trying There's to, like... There's three in this fucking yeah, movie. they're stockpiling way too many villains. And I've, I, I've seen you underdevelop when you've had one villain to mm-hmm. deal with. I don't know what you're expecting out this. This reeks of the Raimi Spider-Man 3 where, where you've just got too many things going on at once. Right. Now, granted, maybe they've seen this too because they've announced that not only is... The second movie coming, but also the third and the fourth movie. A little presumptuous there, but I guess they know. I guess history would dictate that that they're going to make a boatload of money anyway. So maybe they've seen that. You know what? Yeah, maybe we are going to throw a lot of garbage at you this time, but maybe we maybe the story is being flushed out over the course of, of three more movies. And, and we could also say that we're not certain that there will be three villains in this movie because Chris Cooper doesn't necessarily have to be unveiled as Green Goblin yet. No, um, we do know that uh, we're getting the Rhino with Paul that, that, and uh, and Jamie Fox as Electro, Electro. which. Okay. Um, I like Giamatti. I can't picture him as a villain, dude. It, uh, let alone of the rhino kind of caliber. But, I don't know. You, I know we can do things CGI yeah. with makeup. Who knows? Yeah. I think, you're right. I think Giamatti's a little better than this role, but uh, yeah, we'll see what they can solid. do. I'm going to go in with this with a lot lower expectation than I had for the first one, for sure. Anyway, part of the casting for the second one, this was before they announced that the third and fourth were already greenlit, we were, it was, it was fairly exciting, it was going to be Shailene Woodley was coming on as uh, Mary Jane Mary Watson, Jane. and I like that because I like Woodley. Loved um, her in The Descendants. Yeah, yeah, one of the, one of the better young actresses out there, and they actually filmed scenes with her, but I guess we always knew, even though she was being introduced to this, it was going to be a very bit part mm-hmm. um, everything that was leading into this including some of the spoilers that were on the web and stuff with the uh, the costuming and stuff all led um, people who are familiar with the origin stuff to know spoiler alert 
that eventually Gwen Stacy dies. And that's why a lot of people are assuming that Chris Cooper will be more than just Oz. He's going to be the Green Goblin. Well, there was that. And we're talking about the introduction to Mary Jane into this. And we're also... Some of the stuff, the set photos that were leaked online have Gwen Stacy in the exact same outfit that she's wearing in the comic books themselves in the, in the episodes where she died. Right. I mean, point for point, the exact yeah, same thing. the costume. exact same thing. So they haven't eliminated the Mary Jane character. Well, they have from the second movie. But that's also forced them to remove Shailene Woodley from the role altogether. Because of her... Issues with what Divergent? Right? Yeah, she's making that film Divergent, which I think has already been greenlit for a uh, trilogy. Right. Um, and from what I hear, this this is probably the next Hunger Games level. Uh, thing, no, I will admit, I, uh, never having heard of it. Um, I haven't, um, but I'm interested. I'm intrigued. I like Shane Lee Woodley. Um, I like the Hunger Games. So you know, it's another young adult novel that's being adapted. If it's done right, I'm on board. Mm-hmm. But that, that's why uh, they knew that they were going to move her out of the second film, but she wasn't going to be available for shooting uh, on the third and the fourth because of this trilogy she's involved with. Um, yeah, a little, little disappointing because I wanted to see what Woodley could bring to that. They're talking about, uh, I had her name written down here, Sarah Gadon. Sarah Gadon. Being cast in the role of Mary, yeah, I, no I have no idea. And she might be a Canadian actress. I'm not sure. Uh, I saw a photo of her. Yeah, sure, whatever. Young, young girl, red hair dye, and you got Mary Jane. I, I, I don't think you have to look. I don't think you have to scour the landscape to find a Mary Jane. Lost right. Yeah, no, you can pull the hell if they can put Kirsten Dunst in the role. And I didn't hate Kirsten I didn't Dunst either. in the role, but I'm just saying that I'm just supporting your idea that. We can do whatever... They can cast her however they want. Hell, before the Hunger Games, everyone thought Jennifer Lawrence couldn't be Katniss. And then, lo and behold, right. she looked perfect in the part. And now so, nobody could be Katniss right. but her. So, they, yeah. Mary Jane's easy enough to do. I agree. But it still sucks. I was looking forward to her seeing her get more work. But, let's be honest, this could work in her favor, though. Uh, because if this it, does yeah. turn out to be the next big franchise... For the young adult audience, yeah, then she's she's money at that yeah. point. I'm uh, I'm not confident though in the direction of Amazing Spider-Man. Oh God, no! Um, it, I'm just, still smarting from the last one, dude. Yeah, I mean we'll be there. We'll see it. I'll give the guy another shot to do something. Like I said, I, I hope that the reasoning behind already announcing the ne- the next two movies is because they're gonna. Slow it down a little bit and, and stretch some of these yeah, characters and plot lines along a little bit rather than trying to cram all the shit at you at one time. I want to see a villain that I get what makes them be the villain. Right. And I didn't get that at all out of the lizard. It Nothing around that worked for me. So I they need to do better. Right. We will see. I think next yeah, year. Next year. Yeah, we will see next year. A um, couple new trailers hit this past week, um, for definitely for two movies that are high on my <laughs> must-see list, yeah. and these trailers do justice to both of them and only heighten the anticipation. First one is the sequel to one of the greatest comedies of all time, Anchorman. It's Anchorman 2. Is there a subtitle to it? 
there is because uh, keep talking though. Uh, this dude, this trailer, I feared this one because this is almost like, and I know that there's a few years have passed. Yeah, but the um, first one was lightning in a bottle. It's one of those yeah, movies that the more exactly. you watch it. The exactly. funnier that one can play off. Sure. But can you recapture that? Can you bring those characters back? Um, and, and The legend the, continues. The legend continues. Um, can you bring that back, even with the layoff, and recapture what, what made the original so good? Based on the trailers, I have more confidence that they can. I agree. Well, and the good thing is, this as is a cast that not, had lived a whole lot of that yeah, movie. As long as you know, not as long as everything we saw in the trailer isn't isn't all that's there, right? I, um, dude, that trailer was absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, I think Will Ferrell needs something to sort of light a spark. Uh, He's been pretty hit or miss lately, and more miss than anything. Um, I mean, uh, Casa de Mi Padre, mildly entertaining. Um, I, I think the, the the last one that I actually thought was fairly funny that he was in was Step Brothers with John C. Riley. I and, that, that's and that's a little bit of a stretch. It's got its moments. That's not overly watchable no. multiple times. No, no, we, we're definitely well past the. Uh, uh, Anchorman 1 and uh, old school Will Ferrell here. Oh, God, yeah. Um, but this this looks promising. Oh, all that, of that's... Them, all of them are back. All of them... It, it looks like basically they're setting the the 70s cast into a modern day... Yeah, they it's now the 80s and they yeah. deal with the... And what I found interesting is Applegate was in the trailer. Yes, she was. Oh, was she? Because I didn't remember her in it. Yes, she was. She, she was... Uh, she was walking arm in arm with him down down the street. Okay, in their fur coats or whatever. Oh, you're right, right. Because I know I'd heard that the 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 plot was going to be around them getting divorced. Maybe it will be, but, but she was definitely in it. Well, you're right. That was the, the one scene. But then again, Kristen Wiig was in only the one scene. Mm. However, that was one of the funniest scenes in the trailer for me. So mm, absolutely. No, this this looks great um, so far. Right. Um, and I'm Time will tell, but we'll see. Now, the other trailer that, that hit recently... I am certain this will be a great movie. It, well, has Martin Scorsese ever made a not great movie? Not that I've seen. Right. Now, this looks a little different from from the perspective, because it looks like there's a lot more comedy approach to this. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's a... It's not really a comedy. It's, it's the trailer for uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. His, uh, I believe, fifth collaboration with DiCaprio. And uh, DiCaprio's a great actor anyway. Right. I'm hoping this will be the one that gets him his due. Who knows? Um, That's becoming almost ridiculous, dude. And basically, I, it almost looks like they're... I mean, it's almost Goodfellas-esque, that, that tone. Mm-hmm. Where it's it's just it's a little frantic, but it's, it's and everything's delivered tongue in cheek, but yeah. heavy at the same time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and we're talking DiCaprio, uh, Matthew McConaughey was in it. Um, uh, what was, what was Friday Night Lights guy? Oh yeah, Kyle Chandler is in this. Um, some of it is just hilarious. It, uh, even a, Rob Reiner's in the movie. Dude. Yeah, yeah. Um, and basically, it just looks like it's it's an exploration of 
corporate greed in a way, but I don't want to say he's lampooning it, but he's definitely taking, like you said, the tongue-in-cheek approach to it. Hey. We're talking about a guy who's essentially wiping his ass with $100 bills. Yeah, they show him chucking them in a trash can. Yeah. Um, you know, lighting fire to them, you know, buying extravagant things just for the sole purpose that he can. I'm not sure what Matthew McConaughey's role is in this, but the trailer indicates to me that, that that's going to be pretty it, classic. This is another case of the, the new McConaughey. And yeah, kind of like the new McConaughey playing an old McConaughey right. character. Yeah. It's like the new McConaughey playing the Lincoln lawyer. Which means now we can take him seriously, playing right. that kind of a role. Right. Um, dude, there's there's midget tossing. There's Velcro midget tossing. Yeah, that, it, there's chimpanzees. Well, and the thing is, not only was it Velcro midget tossing, they even had a target board to toss yeah. them to. <laughs> So they even discussed rules around how you had to do it. first. Uh, Jonah Hill is in this. Oh, that's with, right. That is... With an, whatever role he's playing. I don't know. This just looks interesting to me. I hope it's not... I don't think it will be because it's Scorsese, but I hope it's not just some sort of hidden Hollywood rant on the whole corporate America thing. I don't know that he's the guy that would deliver that kind of movie, dude. It, it, he tends to not try to get overly political in his de- deliveries yeah. of these things. Um, he that, has his own vision of how these movies play out. Right. Um, Most other directors, yeah, I think that at its heart, Oliver we're Stone. getting just, yeah, we're just <laughs> getting Wall Street again. Right. Yeah, and, and the, this doesn't look anything no. like Wall Street. Um, all right, well, uh, that's it. That's going to wrap up the news for today. We'll, uh, we'll pause for a moment and come back with uh, Douche of the Week. Uh, here goes. Uh, start with uh, obvious. Excuse me, is that your nose or did a bus park on your face? <laughs> True, when you were born, the doctor turned around and slapped your mother. If I had a dog with a face like yours, I'd shave his ass and teach him to walk back. What'd you say? I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. You pompous, stuck-up, snot-nosed, English, giant, twerp, scumbag, fuck-faced, dickhead, asshole! You stuck-up, half-witted... Scruffy-looking nerf herder! You clinking, clanking, clattering collection of collisionous junk! You shit-kicking, stinky horseman who smelling motherfucker, you! You dirty-eating piece of slime! You scum-sucking pig! You son of a motherless goat! How are thou, thou globby bottle of cheap, stinking chip oil? You eunuch jelly, thou! No business born insecure junkyard motherfucker! You're a fucking secretary. Fuck you! Yeah, that's my message for you. Fuck you and kiss my ass. You're an emotional fucking cripple. Your soul is dog shit. Every single fucking thing about you is ugly. You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. I don't like your jerk-off name. I don't like your jerk-off face, I don't like your jerk-off behavior, and I don't like you, jerk-off. I, I think what's strange about our Douche of the Week segment is that it's actually taken five podcasts for this guy to actually become our Douche of the Week. 
And, but this is, he's become Douche of the Week as kind of an aggregate thing because we can no longer ignore the douchiness. Well, yeah, I, 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 and maybe that's what, what's taken so long. It's just that we've just always assumed that everybody out there already knows this guy's mm-hmm. a douche. But I think it needs to be called out. It's, not, it's sort of like how I think, like, every so often people need to be reminded that 9-11 happened just yeah. so you remember it happened. Making sure that you bring up again that this guy is a complete tool is necessary for people so that they never forget that he's a complete asshole. Yeah, and we continue to do all we can to degrade his celebrity right into the ground. Right. And, well, he's doing a good job of that himself. Thank God. And, of course, we're talking about the Beebs. Otherwise known as that lesbian teenager kid. (laughs) Yes. What was the other name that... uh, uh, pop scrotum. Oh, pop scrotum. Yes, that, that that's one that pop Garmin hit the yep. home run on that one. Pop scrotum, Justin Bieber. Um, and he, this has been an ongoing issue apparently of him getting into his white Ferrari and some of his posse that's coming into this neighborhood. It's a gated neighborhood somewhere in in and around. LA. Yeah, it begins with an S. I'm losing the name. Um, of it. Yeah, regardless. A lot of, lot of high-dollar people, ex-athletes, you know, celebrities of that sort uh, living there. And they've been complaining that all he does is speed through the neighborhoods. Yeah, and I've heard upwards around 100 miles an hour at times. Right, right. Um, and, and, and apparently his friends as well, coming yep. in and out to visit him, just, just bust through there. And I, I don't know if he's doing this intentionally now, just because he knows he's making people mad. And he thinks he's just above everybody. I think he believes he's untouchable. Mm-hmm. That's that's exactly the way he's coming off. And apparently, um, he's been accosted by some of the people in the neighborhood that have told him he needs to freaking stop. Yeah. Keyshawn Johnson lives in that neighborhood. Who wanted to accost him, but the little yeah. bastard went and hid in his house and yeah, wouldn't come out. Yeah, he goes and hides like a little whining bitch. I guarantee you're hiding like a little bitch because it's Keyshawn Johnson. If it was the paparazzi, you'd be out taking swings at him because you're a little punk. Um, Eric Dickerson lives in the neighborhood. Yeah, he called him out. Um, Yeah, this kid, you know, for for what it's worth, you know, four or five years ago when this kid was coming onto the scene... I had nothing for him. He was just—he was just. Yeah, but the at next... that point, he was just the next teen idol. Right. Exactly. And you figure it's about a two or three year window, then gone. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, he wasn't doing anything in particular to annoy me, other than just his music is shitty. Yeah. And, but but whatever. It's not for me. It's for the teeny boppers. Now he's turned into this little freaking monster of a kid who's. For some reason, thinks he's just above the law. Is this what happens when somebody gets more money than they'll ever know what to do with at such a young age, and it's unrestrained? I think I think it's a lot. I think there's some of that, but I think it's also the fault has to lie on those around him. No, where is this kid's parents to rein this in, or are they just out spending his freaking money? I've never, I couldn't tell what the parents even his parents look like. I have no idea. I don't even think his parents are with him in L.A. To my knowledge, like any other celebrity, especially around around the uh, the music industry, it seems music industry and athletes. Yep, um, they've surrounded themselves with just a bunch of gravy training assholes that do not have their best interests in. That'll be gone as soon as the money dries out. Absolutely. 
Um, and then he's just taken on this attitude of, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, and you can't do a damn thing about it. I'll speed down my road at mm -hmm. 120 miles an hour in my Ferrari and fuck you if you don't like it. And what's the worst thing that's going to happen to him as far as he's concerned? He's going to get a fine? Right. That, going back to wiping your ass with $100 bills, he, he, right. he wouldn't even waste his time with a $100 bill of that. Right. And Keyshawn brings up a point. He's like, you know what? My kid's playing this way. Yeah, we're a gated community. We're rich motherfuckers. But my kids are still out here right. playing in the street. It doesn't give you the right to be a dickhead. Right. What you do in your own house, fine. I, right. I couldn't care less. If you want to sit there and j crank up your music and, and smoke a blunt, if that's what you're into, I don't give a shit. Right. But as soon as you're putting other people at risk, yeah. I give a shit. Uh, apparently, and I haven't heard much about the outcome of it, but apparently the homeowners association in that area has called a meeting together to discuss... What steps they can take against Bieber. Um, can you imagine being that guy, putting people in that kind of a spot? Because you can't tell me they haven't seen a lot. Because as you said, there's a bunch of athletes, ex-athletes and stuff in there. I'm sure the share of parties go down. You have to be a total dickhead to have a homeowner's organization trying to get you out of there. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to be beyond anything imaginable. Right. I don't even understand the celebrity of this kid. He, oh, God, He's no. not... He, I, I don't I'm even... I'm sorry. He's not talented. No, not a lick of musical talent. No. Unless, oh, baby, baby, baby qualifies, right. and it right. doesn't in my book. Right. Jesus Christ. We were in uh, Lou Bega out for less than that, and he gave us Mambo number five. I'd argue that's catchier than anything <laughs> Bieber ever did. Oh, man. You know who I hate... Usher. Can we now beat Usher for this? Because <laughs> he, he first thing he gives us one of the worst annoyingly catchy dance songs with that freaking <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. I hate him for that. Then ten years later we got he he set Bieber loose on society. <laughs> Even more reason to hate this. I douche. believe Jaden Smith is a is pal. Oh, they're, they're, they're great friends. They probably go in <laughs> Iron Man costumes together to things. <laughs> they deserve each other. <laughs> they're both talentless twats. They are, but but I, I I have to say that at least at least Jaden's reined in a little bit by his parents to some degree. As well, far as, some. as far as as far as being a public nuisance, yeah. I, Bieber it, Bieber is completely unsupervised. And, and here's what you know what it is with the Smiths. The Smiths got their celebrity before the kids did. So yeah. if the kids are ever assholes out in public, it will reflect upon the parents. Right. In the case of Biebs, again, who even knows what this kid's parents are? If yeah. they're in the States or if they're still up in Canada? Now, granted, he's 19 or something. Though, right? I think Bieber's 19. Thereabouts, yeah. So he's old, he's old enough to, to do what he wants. But this has been going... This degradation started, well, what, last year at some point? No, at least, yeah, a couple of years So ago. it's been... A, 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 17-ish is when it started but, kicking in. But the meltdown has come full force it, it in the last really six months to a year. Um, and eventually, eventually he's just going to do something stupid. Now, he isn't like Amanda Bynes off the rails yet. He's just a punk. No, Amanda Bynes, Bynes is something is else. Bynes is, is a, uh, I don't know, a, I worry about her. <laughs> Bynes is mentally imbalanced yes. and not getting the help she needs. And I don't get why her parents... I mean, her parents have said a few things about hoping she's okay. 
No, step in and help your daughter. Yeah. She is not okay. She's going to Buffalo and saying, I'm not in Buffalo. (laughs) This is not good. She's going to fitness centers in bad wigs and saying, that's not me. That person has brown hair. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah, but she's, she's mentally ill. Beebs is just sick with his own fame. He's just a punk. Yeah, it's horrible. He's also our douche, douche of the week. week. All right, we'll come back with what we watched. Come on, Addy. Let's go to the movies. Let's go see the stars. <laughs> Cowboy heroes, cops and robbers, glamour and strife, bigger than life. Sitting in the darkness, what a world to see. Let's go to the movies anyway and see. So I think for the first time in a while, I think we've both seen three movies (laughs) since the last podcast. Yes, but it's going to be interesting how this is going to play out. Because yes. you're building to a crescendo and I'm yes. going into the shitter. Yes, you're going into the toilet. Loop. I'm working from the top and going down. You are the lowest common denominator. I am. This I week. am the weakest link. And, and I'm more of the highbrow guy. I I don't know. Does going to these movies make me gay? The fact that you were the first person in the theater for one of them, and then a bunch of old ladies wandering <laughs> afterwards, that's they, a tad bit gay. They had to wonder how the hell I got it, went into this. I think. The last person you think you're going to walk into seeing there by himself is fat middle-aged dude. Wearing a Braves baseball hat, no less. <laughs> and I guarantee you were. <laughs> uh, yeah, I probably was. Yeah, it's, it's, it's your accoutrement. Right. Well, I'll start, but I'll start with the worst of the three right, movies. Build your way up here. Yes, yeah, so I'll build my way up. I, uh, I saw Jack the Giant Slayer. I will see this now that it's on video. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say that uh, it originally was going to be called Jack the Giant Killer, but somebody thought that was too risky of a title. So Slayer is that much so better. So Slayer apparently is better. <laughs> um, I, I'll say this. It, it was better than I expected, but it was completely un- uh, forgettable. Yeah. Um, the CGI in it, in it basically is an hour and 40 minutes of CGI, of, of CGI giants and, and battles and a lot of actors playing up in front of a green screen, but, um, it, it, it it's decent CGI. It's not that bad if, if you've just, just got to sit down and, and kill an hour and a half to two hours one night. There's probably worse you could do. The story is is pretty traditional, Jack and the Beanstalk level. Um, you know, they're, they're, it's filled with all of the uh, the cliches of, of that type of story. Nicholas Holt is the star. He's uh, people will also know him from Warm Bodies. Brian Singer was actually the director, the X Men Brian Singer. Um, so, and, and that may be what propelled this a little higher. Was the fact that they attached some people to it that, that still wasn't some, a major success though? No, it, it wasn't because I think a lot of that, a lot of that had to do with the time of year you're sent, you're putting this out, right. and it's just that these types of movies have a stigma to them 
where you're really not expecting much more than what you ultimately get. Yeah, you know the story already. And your Van Helsings and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, there's another movie I was thinking of the other day that, that this just sort of falls right in line with that, but I can't think of what it is. But, um, you know, two and a half at best. Not a complete waste of time. Better than I expected it to be, but... You know, the next morning you're going to wake up and probably forget that you even saw the flick. I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. Off top of your head, what is your favorite fairy tale or whatever story turned into a movie? Do you have one? Because one comes to my mind that I don't think people revisit enough, and that is Sleepy Hollow. To uh, me, Sleepy Hollow was a well-done movie and well worth seeing. It's been so long since I saw Sleepy I, Hollow. That movie I love, but... It, right now, we're in kind of a glut where they're, they're going to this well too well, often. Well, and I think that's, that's where a lot of people are a little afraid now that Fables is rolling out. Is that the only reason I got greenlit is because fairy tales are all the rage. <laughs> yeah, well, this is a, that's a different kind of fairy tale altogether. Certainly. Um, I, I would, I mean, we even look at on, on television now with Grimm and Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you had a couple Snow White. And Sleepy Hollow's rolling out this fall. Yeah, it, it, true. So right now, that just seems to oh, be... Oh, sorry, dude. I just burped up five guys. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, hey! <laughs> okay. I, I want to I revisit that statement and see if, you have, if you'd like to uh, well, redefine Well, actually, what's funny is... Just, sorry, listeners, i got to say this. I just Last time when you and I took guys. off from work and had, went to... Five Guys Burgers for lunch. <laughs> I came back and everybody asked me what I did for lunch. I said, oh, Clifton and I went and had Five Guys. <laughs> and Wendy stands up and says, excuse me? <laughs> the, the burgers. Sorry. Uh, I, I, I think I probably have to put that in the episode description. <laughs> yes, yeah, so uh, if we were naming movies, that would uh, naming I, our podcast. I just, <laughs> I, I just burped up Five Guys. <laughs> Awesome. Um, uh, as far as my favorite fairy tale turned, I mean, granted, there. Unless you really want to get into the animated ones, and the, yeah, and to me, those don't really count. Yeah, for me, it's more about the retellings. That's why Sleepy Hollow stands in my head. Is I thought they did a really good job, and that was a role I like Johnny Depp in a lot. Right. And it had Christina Ricci, who to me is underrated as hell. I like her a lot. Which, I mean, my recommendation last week was Black Snake Moan. She was mm-hmm. half of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> um, yeah, I don't really know, dude. All right. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm hoping it will be Fables. <laughs> whenever, Fair enough. Whenever that whenever happens. That happens. Um, but yeah, Jack and the Giant Slayer. Um, two and a half is the ceiling on this. Um you know, not a complete waste of time, but forgettable. Cool. You probably should start with... I'm going to start with... I'm going to start at the top level of mine and work down. Wow. Which is actually the way you have them ranked. The third one you don't even have written, which yeah. is fine. You because there's no reason. Earlier. Right. And there's no reason. So, I saw a movie I had wanted to see called Black Rock. And Black Rock is directed by Katie Asselton. That's probably not how she pronounced her last name. Former Miss Maine, but we know her as Jenny from uh, The League. And wife of another League cast member, Mark Duplass, who's also of the Duplass Brothers. And Jay's the other one, right? Jay and Mark. Mm -hmm. 
produced this movie. Basically, it's about three, I'll call them friends, but right from the get-go, you get the impression that two of them no longer get along. Who the third one plots that they all need to have a camping trip together to get over these grievances. Played by Katie Asselton, Lake Bell, and Kate Bosworth. Kate being the one who wants to bring the other two pieces together. That's giggity, giggity, and goo. Oh, on no one doubt. Movie. Dude, I love Lake <laughs> Bell. I love Katie Asselton. And, and Kate Bosworth, say what you want about some of the roles she's played. She's good to look at. Right. Uh, she, yeah, she was one of Superman Returns, right? Yeah. Who basically... Yeah, her, right, and her casting that was almost like adding sleeping pills to an already slow-moving story. So, yeah. But that was just shitty casting. But here... She looks the part of the one who just wants to try to bring them together. But the, the flaw in their plan is that they decide, let's go out to this island off the coast of Maine, Black Rock. As you do. As three chicks by themselves would do. They hop on a little, little, little motorboat, go they, out and pitch a tent. So they, did, so they decide that the best way to rekindle all the friendships is to be survivalists. Be survivalists, go plop down on this beach out like... 15 miles out, and light a fire and live in a tent. To me, that just says, I don't like you. I can push you off a cliff and nobody will know. Certainly. <laughs> or at the very least, I'm just going to booze it so hard I'm going to forget you're here. Right. Because the, the first thing I'm unpacking is, that ain't going to be beer. That's hard stuff at that point, because what else are you going to do? As you do. Right. So, and, and that's pretty much the way this begins until, as would be expected, the first night... There's trouble afoot. Three dudes come walking out of the woods. And the girls claim to remember one of them. He vaguely acts like he does. They get stupid. They, the girls, and invite the guys to have dinner with them. They're around the campfire. Scene gets a little rapey at one moment. One of the guys ends as up... As you do. As it would, I guess. <laughs> when you're out there and can bury... And as you, you said, and when you can cover bodies up really easily. Right, and you don't have Emma Watson with an axe. Exactly. And... Girl retaliates and takes out one of the guys, and then the story unfolds that the other two want revenge. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes a true survival story. The movie is actually worth seeing. It's not worth spending a whole lot of money for. There's not a great amount of investment investment monetarily. When the there's only really two action scenes to the movie, and the, the final action scene looks Pretty bad. It's one of those, you see somebody swing a knife, then the other person fall back, and clearly they weren't even coming close to hitting, but they didn't have the they didn't have the money for the practical effects to pull it off. That person falls back with the worst-looking fake blood on them, and it, it plays out very by the numbers. You know how this movie's going to go. Mm -hmm. you, you know what's going to happen. But it, it, it's still worth a look. Um, there were some really good scenes, and, and some of the scenes between Asselton and Bell when they're trying to work things out were pretty well done. I, I found it interesting that a female director would shoot this kind of movie, which to me feels very much like a movie that a, a dude would... Uh, Asselton wrote and directed? She wrote and directed this okay. thing. And I'm all, you know, e even though, like you were saying, it may not be the greatest thing, they may not have the budget to pull off some of the effects... I'm all for supporting talented, independent-style filmmaking. Right. 
Um, and, and, and the Duplass brothers are, are right there, too. They, they team, tend to have a little bit more financial backing in their projects, mm-hmm. but they've done some great stuff, too. And they're willing to allow themselves to be the brunt of some of the jokes, which sure. I like. Sure. Uh, I mean, let's face it. Uh, was it Dodeca? It was Dodeca Pentathlon. Which I saw. I said, yeah, and they were front and center. Yeah, and it wasn't great, no, but, but it, was, it, it was good. But then you've got Jeff, who lives at it's home, which I thought movie. was great. Yeah. And, and in this, I'll give Katie a lot of credit because I've already said it gets rapey. She puts herself in the scene. She's the one that has... Katie puts herself in that scene. She puts herself out there where when they're fleeing, they're wet, and she, she has to strip her clothes off because the clothes are making them that much colder. She literally puts herself front and center all these scenes. She wasn't a director who then just hid behind the camera. Mm-hmm. She made sure every uncomfortable shot she was in the middle of, which... For period reasons, I dig her fine. But getting beyond that, not every director is going to put themselves in that spot. And she did. And I'll give immense props to it. The movie's worth seeing. It earns every bit of its R rating. It's it's very graphic. The language is very heavy. For me, I'd put it uh, 3 out of 5. Certainly one I could watch again. I wouldn't buy it. But I'd recommend people see it. And like you say, support movies that are being done in shoestring budgets with directors that will never get big big money deals. Right, yeah, the talented yeah. people. I mean, I, I'm not saying go out and, and support Birdemic. Right, no, no, no. <laughs> and, and what I like with this is you get the feeling that the reason Lake and Kate did this is because they're all friends. Because they were helping out their buddy. Right, and and I've heard an interview with Lake Bell where she basically said that, that, it, that they nobody expected to make a dime off this movie. It's something that the friends wanted to do as friends. And I, I really respect that, so. Sure. Cool. Well, the next movie I saw... As you work up. <laughs> as I work up. And what's going to be interesting about this is that... The movie that I'm going to tell you about next, I put a review on the site and gave a 5 out of 5. So that's going to tell you, if I'm moving up, that's going to tell you where I ended up on the other one. You can't go beyond 5 out of 5. You can't go beyond 5 out of 5, but I even got more enjoyment out of the the second one that I will discuss. It's an even more perfect film is what you can say. I don't know that that it's a more perfect film. I just enjoyed it more. Fair enough. Um, and that's not to say I didn't enjoy Before Midnight. I was going to say, you can say the name of the movie. <laughs> um, it's, it's the third in Richard Linklater's uh, Before trilogy. Started with uh, Before Sun... Sunrise. Sunrise. I always get them mixed up. and uh, Which was in 1995. And then Before Sunset in 1994... Or uh, 2004, <laughs> rather. Oh, wait. 2004. And then now we have Before Midnight. Every here seven years. 20, every nine years. Nine. Oh, the other math, yes. I see you were a math major. <laughs> I, I was. Um, and I don't know that he, I don't know that the intention was to make a trilogy out of this at the time, when it first came out. Um, but we're talking about, basically, we have Ethan Hawke as Jesse. We have Julie Delpy who's a French actress, uh, as Celine. And basically you're talking about two people who met by chance on a train in Vienna 18 years ago. And all three of these together have spanned, like I said, blocks of nine-year increments. Um, you You don't necessarily learn every detail of what happened to them in the nine years, 
we just sort of fast forward, we can make assumptions of what has happened, but it's really each of these movies is a block in time, which a very short block of time, of where they are today. Um, in Before Midnight, we now know sort of what happened after Before Sunrise. That's one of the weirdest sentences I've ever heard. After well, before, in, in each of the each of the two previous movies, he sort of leaves it open ended. I wouldn't say cliffhangerish because this is certainly not. I wouldn't associate any kind of cliffhanger with this. He left it open ended. In the first movie, it was like, it, you know, it's young, spontaneous love. They spend a night together. You know, Paris. You know, birds, unicorns, all that kind of stuff. I'll meet you back here in six months at this train platform. Roll credits. Nine years later, we find out what happened. Did they meet back up in this, in that? And they're together again in this movie for what seems like about a day. And it leaves it open-ended again. It's just sort of like this, this smile on Ethan Hawke's face as they're sort of reconnecting, roll credits. Fast forward to today, nine years later, kids are in the car with them, and we find out, we pretty much know what happened over the last nine years. And in each of these movies, it's basically just these two people having a conversation. Walking around, driving around. The crux of it all is conversation about relationship, their current relationship, what's happening to them at the time, what's led them to be where they are today, what's next for them. You know, it, it's just honest, it, very long takes. Some shots in this movie are just the two of them walking from point A to point B. It's 20 minutes of screen time and all they're known is talking. But it's so organic. It is such a real conversation, I think, and that's the connection. If you get bored easily with without action or anything like that, if you can't if you can't set that aside and tune in to what the conversation is, this probably isn't the series for you. But if you're if if you can find some sort of value in an honest, earnest conversation between two people that are in love but are still trying to figure out hows and whys and all that stuff, it's it's a brilliant expose on on just the human relationship and how um how love changes faces because like i said you start out they're in their 20s it's that young spontaneous thing then they're in their 30s in the second movie and it's more about that like regrets from what they may or may not have done before more of the forbidden love of what maybe they're doing now or going forward and then you've got them in their 40s now where they're still very much in love but all of the frustrations, life is getting in the way with kids and careers and stuff like that. And I think it, it, this really ex exposes how the middle-aged set today just becomes so complacent in their relationship that they think that they've misplaced or lost love completely. And it's really more about it's still there. It just looks a whole lot different. So you either can try to find it knowing that it's there, or in the case of most couples, I would assume they just assume that it's gone forever, 
and they split. And that's where this movie sort of leaves you in the end. What's next? And I don't know if there's a next. This movie will certainly... Uh, it, it, it would be a fitting conclusion if it's the conclusion, but it's still certainly open-ended enough to move forward another nine years from oh, now this, if these people want to do another one. Th- well, this is the kind of film Linklater's kind of known for, though. He, he's very he's into all char- over the place. He, he does all about character characters. studies. Absolutely. I mean, I, I love Dazed and Confused. I think it's it's genius. I know that's one that you've you've struggled with in the past, but I need I, to revisit. I, I encourage like, I you to that. revisit it. Because um, if you look at just the characters, it's not just about a bunch of stoner high school kids. These are these are legitimate characters that he's that he's throwing in there. I think that's a brilliant flick. Slacker's another one where you know it's so low budget. It was one of his early ones, but again, it's a character study of just these goobs running around a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he's done stuff like Bernie, which he I did, dug. yeah, which I dug. School of Rock, which I dug quite a bit. Not everything for him works and. He just did something that I saw that I wasn't big on. I don't remember what it was. But this before trilogy, as a whole, it, it certainly is his uh, crowning achievement, in my opinion. It's a total five out of five. If you dug the first two movies, there's no reason to think you're not going to love this one more than the other two. If you didn't like the first two, don't bother. You're not going to like this one because it's exactly the same thing. Five out of five. Cool. Go ahead. <laughs> so tell, gonna, tell me about some fine stuff. I'm going to bring this down. <laughs> I saw a movie that uh, I, I loved the first one. and uh, Because it was one of the first times the ninjas actually disagreed on a movie. That we flat out disagreed. Total opposite ends of the spectrum. That was VHS. I was right. I would <laughs> say not, but okay. And it did I, nothing for me. I was excited to see VHS too. Was that like, well, first, why did they go away from... Originally, it was going to be called SVHS, and then they decided not to, which I think that's a way better name than VHS, too. The problem is that I saw the movie, and this just... It already felt tired. And, and if you haven't seen VHS, very low budget, shot on handy cam, pretty much, and it's basically... There's one overall plot that makes no sense, and this one doesn't make any sense either. But it just, the whole plot of it is to bring you to seeing five little vignette horror movies, each done by their own director, nothing to do with the last, just their own little 15 minute story. And some of them play out really well, and some of them don't. VHS 2 uses the same thing. We have a new connecting story. Again, like I say, doesn't really work. Um,. And then we get rolled out four stories, each done by different directors. Unfortunately here, I would argue that really only two work, and one of them only kinda. Uh, you, you, the four stories are, without getting spoilery, the first one is around a dude who's had some kind of an injury where he loses sight in his eye, so he agrees to have an implanted eye that's basically a camera at the same time. And it allows him to suddenly see spirits around him. It, yeah, it's alright, but the whole time you wonder why anyone would ever do this. The second one is fascinating, and it plays out kind of well, and it's, it's zombie horror, but it, it's zombie horror told from the point of view from the zombie. It's a dude using a bike cam, 
and he gets attacked by zombies while on a mountain path. And it's him then going on his zombie tear as he's becoming zombie and dealing with the people fighting back. So it's him seeing the car coming at him to run him down, seeing him going to feed on the little kid's party that's out in the picnic area and that kind of thing. It, it, it's entertaining enough, not scary, though. The third one's the one a lot of people are latching on to. It's told 90% of it in Portuguese. Um, I want to say the director, I'm losing his name, is the one who did Monsters. Gareth Evans? That's, except there's a third name in the middle of it that's very Portuguese. Um, but it's basically these, the, these directors that decide they want to do a movie on this cult that's, that's in the area. And they get permission from the guy who calls himself the father to come in and record a day in the life of the cult. And their pitch is that they want to not call into question what's happening in the cult to let the cult put its message out there. We will make no judgments. We want to show a day in your life. Which is why you need to see Sound of My Voice. I actually looked for that the other day <laughs> before this one couldn't find it. And it really played out interestingly. And it's one that really does have a good build-up. It, it, it's a longer part of the movie. It's a good 35, 40 minutes long. But you really feel that if somebody wanted to take this idea, and maybe that is sounding my voice, and really play it out, you have a story here. And it, it comes to a great conclusion. Some of these was the scariest moments in the movie, too. Um... And lastly is an alien attack film. Uh, it's basically shot from the point of view of these kids who are farting around with video cameras. When they see the lights coming in, their parents are very rich. They have a house inside the lake. They see these lights appear on the, uh, right out in the middle of the lake. Um, very low-budget alien effects. Creepy enough, but this one resorts to jump scares an awful lot. And I'm very over jump scares, especially <laughs> on the... the uh, First person, the... the uh, what so this talking? is Attack the Block with rich people? It is. Okay. And uh, I didn't like Attack the Block, and I really didn't like I the like segment. Um, for me, Attack the Block was just tremendously overrated. Again, probably need to revisit it, but... VHS 2, if people like the first one, you can see this one. I don't get why people are saying this one up is an upgrade over the first movie. I didn't in any way feel that way. Again, there's one segment that may have been better than anything you saw in the first. But that alone doesn't make this way better. I Maybe two out of five. It, it's I have no intention of ever sitting watching this again. Okay. I probably will at some point, being the yeah. completest that I am. But, uh, yeah, certainly not gonna certainly not going to pay the... Uh, Ten dollars on demand fee that they they want, and, and I did not either. So, um, cool. So the last movie I saw, like I said, from a cinematic standpoint, it may not be quite the quality of Before Midnight, but it was certainly good enough for me to consider it a five out of five. And it was certainly for me, it was more entertaining, and that may may just be the nature of the film itself. Before Midnight is a very character-drawn conversational movie that you just have to invest. You have to invest your time just expecting that you're going to sit there for an hour and a half to two hours listening to two people talk with not a whole lot going on. Different experience. Frances Ha with uh, Greta Gerwig, 
who I believe is married to the director, Noah Baumbach. They co-wrote it. I believe they're married or at least dating or something. There, there's some relationship. They're bumping ugly. It's whatever. I, dude, there's something about Greta Gerwig that just... I don't know. She's she's, she's in a Vera, Vera Farmiga kind of way. Uh, maybe I don't know. Uh, there's something about her. She's just quirky, fun, you know, that kind of thing. And and she plays it off here. It's basically a lot of people are comparing this to Woody Allen's Manhattan. I think the comparisons stop based on the fact that it's a black and white shot in New York. I I put this more along in line with the HBO series Girls. Which I dig the hell out of. I think Lena Dunham's got one of the freshest things going today. And I know there's a whole lot of people that are critics of her. But I think that's just natural for people to, crit- to criticize what's on top. And, you know, hey, there's an easy target. Let's let's go trash that out. And just by by the name of... The fact that your name of your show is Girls, you're going to, you're going to automatically attract the ire of, of certain people. It's mm-hmm. like Twilight. You just by the nature of the of Twilight, and you've told that it's for the females. Automatically, message board flamer is gonna is gonna set their phasers to kill on you. Anyway, I think that this series, or this this film, sort of uh, felt like more like a, a, a ten episode season of Girls smushed down into an hour and a half flick. Gerwig is typically as she is quirky. But fun, kind of one of those frustrating characters that you're like, really, can't you see what you're doing to yourself? What you Can't you see that, that your life is not on the right path and you need to do these types of things? But she's so charming about the whole thing that it's impossible to dislike the character as she just sort of meanders her way through her, her low-rent existence... In New York, and you know, and, and her roommate situations turn changing all the time, and all the people around her, all all the people who consider her consider them friends and stuff like that, they seem to be advancing, moving on, getting married, finding jobs and stuff, and she just sort of keeps getting left in the dust. She comes across as sometimes not so intelligent, but then she is intelligent at times. So it's really just this character study on her and her quirkiness and and what makes her tick. And it's 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 fun, it's funny, um, and it's just interesting to see the dialogue in this is brilliant, which is part of the part of the. Uh, reason I like the girls show so much is that the dialogue is very normal. If you yeah. Will. Well, I've heard it plays off very kinetically that it, yeah. it, it just flows. It, it, it does much like why we like Kevin Smith movies. This is the way people talk when they hang out. Exactly. And, and that's what you're going to get here. Um, and sometimes it's just quirky and funny and fun. Uh, a great little soundtrack to it. A lot of, a lot of David Bowie playing in the background mm-hmm. here. Um, and it, it's just, it's fun to see a character that's just sort of a free spirit, a freewheeling spirit in the middle of all this hipster douchebaggery of young New York City. Like I said, the film is black and white, so it just sort of adds a, a unique aesthetic to the film. Um, I, I had a blast with it. It's only 86 minutes long. It's not, it, it's not that big of an investment. It's actually only about 25 minutes longer than an episode of Girls. 
Um, but uh, I, I had a blast with it. Dude. It, it, it. It lived up to every expectation I had for it. A five out of five. Joel? Should I bring this thing right down into the gutter? Yep. Just, just chop it, chop us down I'm at gonna, the knees. The, the ninjas aren't the high, and I'm about to kick us in the paw, right the freaking nads. I went, and, uh, well, I didn't went and see anything. I grabbed The Last Exorcism Part 2. Which, and you, in and of itself, is just... Arguably the best and worst title yeah. ever. And we actually liked The Last Exorcism. I did. The, the problem with The Last, Last Exorcism is the big reveal is where it untangled. It all fell apart in the last ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, it did because it was so unlike the rest of the movie. Right. I'm not even going to say that it it. Oh, it, it was the worked. wrong direction. No, to go. it would have worked had the story not been what it was up to that point. Right. It just felt like all of a sudden it hit a bit of a wall because the, it it flowed in a very different way. Now, didn't Eli Roth have something to do with the first one? He did. In fact, he have I thought he directed one? the first one. I thought he did too, but I'm not he, positive. I'm 90% certain he directed the first one. This he was only a producer of. Okay. Um, and it did involve the same girl, Nell. And it's her yeah. basically... Ashley Bell, I believe was yeah, her name. Her basically... Coming out... Uh, some family wakes up to find her in their kitchen... And she gets taken to the hospital where she is then given to a a home. I don't want to say for grieve for grieving girls, but basically troubled girls trying to get their life started. Which, which is interesting because it's in New Orleans. So if I'm gonna, I looked at my wife. Well, it's honest. Well, here the thing with New Orleans is, having been there, it's an interesting city. It's beautiful, but if you have a vice, you can find it there. It's a place where you could really run yourself right into the ground if you wanted to. Um, and, Eli, and Eli Roth did not direct. He didn't direct he the first, have, really. No, he must have produced that one as well. All right. But this movie really has none of the charm or flavor of the first. Right from the get-go, it's it's. I was impressed to see they didn't try to use the handy cam thing again. It was shot with with single camera, but still camera, regular shots. But man, this thing didn't play out well at all, and it's long. If you don't mind a movie where the girl's walking with her female friends and she sees a dude in a mask sitting on the other intersection staring at her, and that happens at least five times is a big dramatic moment. Or when she goes into different places, somebody at some point is going to walk up to her and say, he's still looking for you, he still has a place for you. Happens every... And you're going, okay. Because that's original. Right. And and that's (laughs) literally the way this thing plays out is... Spoiler alert in the first, it's that she's being approached by a demon named like Asladam or Aslabam or something. Well, it, apparently Aslabam or Alabam or whatever his fucking name is, <laughs> didn't want to give her up that badly, uh, that quickly. So he's still trying to get her. And all these people are just standing there watching her as his minions. It plays out so boringly. And the problem is... It, which Not, sucks because some of the trailer stuff looked creepy. It looked, and some of it, they they did a great job of editing the creepy out into a, a two minute segment. And to make what's worse than having a boring horror movie, put it pretty close to two hours long. Mm. It takes forever to get to the big final scene, and then it's almost laughable the way it's playing out. It, it by then you've so mentally checked out, you don't ever want to revisit this thing again. Right. It 
the movie was flat out horrible. I couldn't even begin to recommend anybody bother seeing this thing. Right. I one out of five, and that's it's. Watch, After Earth, watch the is, trailer and call it. Good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> th- this to me was what After Earth did to sci-fi. This did to horror. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Well, speaking of horror, we're going to come back and we're going to uh, get into discussion about zombies, uh, culminating in our review of World War Z. Mm-hmm. Does it live in a jungle? No. Oh. Is it really fast? No. Does it live on the Great Plains of Africa? No. Hey. What is going on? Hold on, guys. Daddy, be careful on the road. Get back in your car right now! Remain with your feet! Before we get into the actual dissection of World War Z... Actually, I'm going to huh? side ra- derail us real quick. Okay. I just thought of something. Mm-hmm. This doesn't involve five guys again, does it? No. No, no, no. But it, it, I don't know why this just popped into my mind. You and I are both creatures of the 80s. Yeah. We grew up watching the late 70s TV shows, Happy Days, Laverne Shirley, mm-hmm. Welcome Back, Cotter. We're very integral to our youth. Uh-huh. And we'll both remember that around Sweeps Week, they always had those big family moment episodes. The, the, everyone know, remembers the one with uh, Michael J. Fox and Family Ties where he's dealing with the, what, the loss of his friend. And, and or Dad's an alcoholic. Dad, yeah, uh, uh, Tom Hanks, the uncle, is the drunken alcoholic. And, yeah. um, do you remember the one, that, uh, Different Strokes Course has one of the most famous ones with the with the bike repair guy, who was actually the dude uh, from KRP, but he was a diddler in this episode. He was fondling uh, Drummond's buddy there. Do you remember that episode? Mm, vaguely. 
Because there was also an episode that was one of these, and, and they played off like PSAs. And it was Drummond and his buddies are playing hide and seek. And one of his buddies decides to hide, she decides to hide in a refrigerator that's outside. I do remember that. And gets shut in. And it was during that. Remember, they used to run back in the eighties. They do these little, kind of like the NBC. Now you know where they have an, mm-hmm. a, a star saying something. Mm-hmm. They'd have these big pitches about always removing your refrigerator doors. Right. And then that was this: the kid almost dies because she gets pinned in there. And you're watching as a kid. You're watching, going, "How retarded do you have to be to go hide in a refrigerator?" Today we know that. That a refrigerator with a door on can save you from this a nuclear war. This is where I'm going. So, did, did <laughs> Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls undo all of this? Because not only did he hide in the refrigerator and not run out of air, he survived a nuclear holocaust. <laughs> I think that Indiana Jones undid everything we learned during the 80s. Undid it all. Was there a point to any of this, or is this just some random... No, it just came to my head. Okay. <laughs> I, I just That's threw it out there. And now on with the show. <laughs> so we just got back from seeing uh, World War Z, um, but but before we actually get into breaking that down, I thought it'd be interesting to just sort of discuss the zombie infatuation a little bit in detail going into it because it sure seems like zombies are like the new vampires now. Oh, no question. They're they're. Pardon the pun. Invading every corner of pop culture at this point, um, it's not a new concept. It just seems to be all the rage now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can look at The Walking Dead as probably Exhibit A. Oh no! Well, um, yeah, you have a zombie, quote unquote zombie horror that is one of the major, major television shows that's yeah. not on a major network. And quite frankly, I think it's doing it the best of any medium right now. Oh, no question. Um, granted, the the comics that it's based off of is quality stuff. It's one of the best uh, ongoing comic series out there, but uh, they, they've translated it so well for the small screen that it, it's just, for me, it's one of the best, best shows out there today. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can actually trace the whole zombie thing back to the 30s, I guess, is when it started. Back in the, uh, uh, what was it called? Uh, Bella Lugosi starred in some flick called uh, White Zombie. Which is actually literally where that band got its name right, from. Right, right, right. Um, back in 1932. And I guess that was sort of the, the, the first ever cinematic zombie um, and when when did H.P. Lovecraft? When was when was he like actually churning out? Mm, just after turn of the century. Yeah. So, and he was doing some some of his works seemed to be around that type of genre. It, it certainly dealt with the undead. A lot of his stuff was with creatures coming from other planes of existence, mm-hmm. and they would they would be the undead would be some of their minions that would be used to do their bidding. Right. Um, so those, those guys were sort of the pioneers for the genre. And then it, you jump ahead to like the sixties when George Romero in Night of the Living Dead is what really gave us the first look of the, the modern day concept of the zombie. Mm-hmm. And as much as I like Romero's early stuff, for me, he's a little bit like Stan Lee, not in his arrogance, but in that I'm not sure that his vision of zombie anymore is, is, what I want to see on screen. 
Oh no, no! You get a lot. He's of still churning out stuff, and it's not really good. No, and, and people talk about it like he is the gold standard for zombie horror. And I would argue that I've seen episodes of Walking Dead that come off scarier than what I've seen in this stuff. Absolutely. And another movie I'll pull out of my ass that a lot of people may not have seen is Serpent in the Rainbow that came out, what, late 80s, early 90s? I I don't know that I saw it, but yeah, it's about uh, time. I'm losing his name. Uh, Lone Star and and, uh, Spaceballs. He was the president in Independence Day. Oh, Bill Pullman? Yes. Is the main character in this, and it's around basically uh, voodoo cults, quote unquote, having the ability to bring people back from the dead. Right and it is an intriguing movie, and that one plays off a bit scarier. Not taking away props from Romero, because as you said, we're talking about a movie he did in the '60s. He's probably yeah. gone on with them too long now. Right, and you can appreciate those films for what they were for the time. No question. Them. You know, Night of the Living Dead is one of the best ever. Yep. Um, but th- but that's like saying that you know the the original Godzilla is going to stand up technically to whatever they come out. Yeah, it's. Yeah, you gotta you gotta go apples to apples here, yeah, not yeah. apples to oranges. You can't right. you can't try to compare something to something against his time by forty years. Right, and then we cut and fast forward to a more modern era when you had like like the comedies of Zombieland and Shaun of the Dead, things like that. Warm Bodies, which just came out earlier this year, um, all all with good and bad to their to their credit. Oh, Shaun of the Dead is is just epic. oh, it's brilliant. Epic, classic stuff. Um, then you get to video games. Oh, yeah. You talk about um, a genre. It's inv- Again, it's invaded big time. Yeah. Resident Evil, since what, 97, 96? Yeah. Is when the first one came out for the PlayStation. That's all they are is zombie horrors. And then you get into Dead Island. And, and yeah. I mean, there's countless series now that are zombie-based. Some of them work well, some of them don't. And then it's even bleeding into outside of media when you've got like these these zombie runs that are like the most popular thing going right now, where where people of the running ilk I'm not I'm not friends with any of them, but uh, they go out and they they traverse this course, and then people dressed as zombies try to get them. Uh, I find it a little cheesy, but yeah, yeah. but but it's it's huge right now, and it, they do drum up some good money because it is yeah. so popular. I don't knock that. People are infatuated with the zombie culture right now. Well, and you know what it is? It's because basically what you've done is instead of having it be something extraterrestrial, you still got a human being. It can still be stopped. Right. You just have to know how to do it. So, the you, think it, is, so you think it feels more real to people? This is a, a realistic extent. monster. And what you've got is a mindless human. It mm-hmm. becomes more realistic. And the idea that it, zombie is rarely a singular term. It's normally plural. You don't have one. You have hundreds or thousands. Mm-hmm. And again, being mindless... I think it plays out more interestingly than that thing that goes bump in the night that you can't really put your finger on. Right. And like vampires, it seems like that every every new iteration of, of zombie, whether it be TV or movie or, or book or whatever, seems to be trying, maybe trying a little too hard to put 
a new twist. Oh, they're on, like trying to kick it up a notch yeah, again and again. They're, they're trying to do different things. It's, it's kind of like how Stephanie Meyer decided that vampires should sparkle. Yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, you go back to, what is it, 28 Days Later, mm-hmm. where that was the first time I'd seen where zombies were running after people. Mm-hmm. Before that, it was the slow amble, which I always found interesting watching the Romero films is you can get away from those zombies. Sure. You really can. They're, they're just mindlessly ambling about. They yeah. may have a faster amble, but it's still an amble. Once you got to 28 days later, 28 weeks later, it became a full-on run. It became yeah. they smelled blood, they smelled flesh, they were coming after you. And right. that kicked it up a notch. But like you say, to a certain point, it may be getting ridiculous because it's been done so many times. I don't know how much further they can go before it starts before degrading the, things. Before zombies start sparkling and playing baseball in the rain. Well, I mean, even though I've, I've heard it's a good movie, turning zombie into love interest alone for warm bodies, to me, was borderline jumping the shark with the franchise. Um, well, where did you hear it was a good movie? I... I've heard a lot of defense for the movie that it wasn't as bad as people thought it was going to be. I will will give you that. It wasn't as bad. But if if that's a glowing endorsement for anybody, uh, then I think they're misreading it. I guess that's kind of like saying, I didn't hate it, isn't the same as saying... I liked it. Right, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, it played off a little, a little too cheesy for me. But, uh, but you know, you know, they tried something different. Um, which brings us up to World War Z. Right. Um, the, the based off of the novel from Max Brooks, uh, and I'll put it out there right from the beginning. If you're going into this having read the book, which I did, if you're expecting to see Max Brooks's version of World War Z on screen, you're not going to see anything remotely close. The book is based on a post-zombie apocalypse, where the humans actually win the war, if you will. And it's really just a bunch of individual accounts of things that happened during the war and how it changed them you know, environmentally, uh, geopolitically, all that kind of stuff. Um, Which is interesting, because isn't that what the, the the leading credits of this movie tried to pitch? Sort of. Was to a certain extent that we brought things down. Yeah. And that, all during just the intro credits. I don't even think they brought that harangue out really again. No. Um, no, th- this movie, this movie is, is an absolute shell of the book, I, I, it's hard to even find comparison between the book and the movie. Mm-hmm. It it really just stops short. It, it stops at the point where yeah, there's zombies in both. That's about the only similarities I can I can give it between the book and the movie. Um, but I, I usually start these discussions, so I'll let you throw out there first your impressions of World War Z. This is one of those movies I I think I really wanted to like, and <laughs> I just use this term, I didn't hate this movie, and I went in not really looking forward to seeing this movie, because the CGI to me and all the trailers looked really bad, and what I, what impressed me was how quickly the movie got to the point. We weren't ten minutes into it, and it was the scene with them on the road, and they're realizing something ain't right in Houston, or Dodge, or Philadelphia. 
Um, the movie plays out well enough, but to me, at times, it seemed like it was... First thing is, I didn't like the bouncing from location to location to location. Because it seemed to me that they were showing zombies, quote-unquote, spreading way too quickly for anything I could buy. Case in point was the scenes around Jerusalem where zombies gets over the wall and next thing you know, the entire place is overrun. I had a lot of trouble with that. Um, but then these people are somehow able to move about getting on planes and everything else without issue. And I, I really found myself struggling with how big this thing really is because they were shown as a global epidemic, which it would be, yet they were going on about their business. Mm. It was a shitty business, but still they were going on about it. And for me, that really didn't work well. I thought that the movie played out well early on and the early scenes when it was starting in the city, I loved. Yeah. I thought that was great. When they showed society basically breaking down, yeah. those to me were the scenes that played out really, really well. And I found myself enjoying the film way more than I thought it was going to. And I can't say I dislike the ending. But... A little abrupt. Yeah. it. I found, my, it, I found myself feeling this way about it. And... I recognize I'm saying this without summarizing anything to do with the movie. I found myself feeling that the end little soliloquy, the little speech, was supposed to be their way of dealing with how abrupt it was. That the war still raged on and battles were... But you still basically found the cure in five minutes later and credits. And that played off a lot where like people criticized uh, War of the Worlds. As being way too abrupt in the ending. For everything you get when you're building up, it ends, oh, they couldn't handle the, the, the diseases. Aliens die, done. And that, to me, is the way this play. I literally felt I was watching, and in fact, I, I just realized how closely those two films mirror each other. That when it's, at, when it's good, it's a really good movie. But when it's bad, it falls right the fuck apart. Yeah, I know that's a good assessment. And War of the Worlds, I think, is a good... Uh... <clears throat> a good analogy there. Um, yeah, for me, I, I'm pretty much right on the same page with you. Um, it, it, I got more out of it than I thought I would. Um, and, and when it does play well, it plays very well. Um, it, there are a lot of moments here that are just too leap of faith, too rushed. Uh, I, think, I think the whole thing with the abruptness of the ending, I think it's just Hollywood or, or the filmmakers... Realizing that that people don't want to see this part, they, they don't care. And fair enough, they just want to see aliens blowing people up, zombies eating people, that kind of. They want to see the action. That's just Hollywood, I think, acknowledging the fact that we live in such an ADD society right now that can't handle a deeper story, especially in a flick that's really just thrown out there as your summer blockbuster fare. Mm -hmm. Um. I thought Brad Pitt. I've I've always been a supporter of Brad Pitt. I think the guy is a top notch actor. I think you know. Did he, he look a lot more like Jackson this movie to you? I, mean, I can see where you could make that that cross. Not, he didn't. I didn't. I never thought of no, that. See, I, but but. more than one occasion, I'm like, is that Jax? 
But um, but I thought he did a great job. Yeah, a I, job I, with it. Uh, Meryl Enos is a good actress. I I found her to be fairly pointless, pointless in this flick. Um, she was a, she was basically her her and the kids were nothing more than a plot device of giving him a reason to to stay alive. Yeah, and and so in, in the trailer you see basically that it plays out like a family trying to survive. Yeah, and what you get within half an hour of the movie is anything but. It's that he's he's worked for. Do they ever really address exactly what his role was? No, at I, some I point he before just, he left it, he was just he's one of their guys on the ground. Yeah, he was just one of their the military guys on the ground investigating. Like, assistant director of the UN calls in a favor and wants him to go on the ground with a with a doctor who's who is really good at researching outbreaks. Yeah. How they found the that team. guy that quick, I'll never know. Yeah, and got yeah. him out to a battleship in the middle of the Atlantic yeah, Ocean. It's, it's those types of things. It's like, well, really, how did you, how did you, A, find that guy, determine that was the right guy, go get him and bring him out here. In the middle of all this shit. Because, all, all they said was, well, he was at Harvard. Well, big fucking deal. Yeah, you know how many the, other people are at Harvard? Maybe there's somebody better at this than, than that dude was. Clearly, survival wasn't his thing. Right. It, it, like you said, the, the outbreak, while, while certainly it would be a global thing, the way they rolled this out, with, with the, the speed of which these, these creatures overtake the areas that, they, that they're infested, there, there's no reason to believe that anybody is going to survive this in the oh, God, It's no. just too quick. And I, I even found that about the, the scenes I was saying I loved in Philadelphia early on. How is it nobody would have heard about it up until then? Right. I mean, a couple of motorcycle cops is basically it. The next thing you know is people going ah. <coughs> right. This would have made the news at some point. And the whole the whole method of shaky cam they used in the beginning, I just did it didn't yeah. work for me. It was it was distracting. It was like you, you notice that there was absolutely no gore, no blood, no guts, no gore oh, no, in they, this zombie movie. Normally, I would have big issues with that. I think they pulled it off as best they could without utilizing that. Uh, well, I, I think they said about trying to give... We've already addressed how zombie has become part of mainstream pop culture. And I think this is their way of saying there's going to be families going to see this as a result. Mm. So we need to keep it a little more family-friendly. Four-letter words were kept to a minimum. I don't think the F-bomb was dropped I'm not sure. Was this even an R movie? No. It was PG thirteen. Okay. So, and I think they did all they could to keep it that way. So, yeah. it, yeah, it, it, this I keep coming back to how quickly everything spread. Yeah. And like I say, for me, it, it was the scene, and it, it's the scene I was dreading to begin with, where the zombies are creating a human wall. Well, I which had, I had a whole problem with the whole Jerusalem bit of this. I didn't even get any of the discussion understand. on the tenth man thing. I, I didn't understand, because they made this big thing about, like, well, first of all, he goes to South Korea, because apparently down in South Korea, um, help me out here, they, that's where... It was one of the first uh, where the outbreak, instances. Yeah, because he basically was looking for patient zero. Yeah. Um, and that, that the plot's basically that if they can figure out where it began, they can figure out what caused it. Right. Um, and that... that go south on him real quick and it, it's determined at that point that he needs to go to Jerusalem because for some reason Jerusalem is an island all to itself 
it's an uninfected. Well, it built, they, they built, built these walls. big walls around the city. And they're questioning this. It's like the timing of this. How is it that Jerusalem seemed to build these walls around their city just in time to protect itself from the zombie apocalypse? And I'll give them some credit because they actually do throw around the Z word. They do acknowledge zombies. Early on, it was just like this is a viral thing, something like that. But then somebody actually brings up the zombie thing. And, so an I'm e- glad. and they even reference that somebody threw it out yeah. there in an email. Yeah. And, I, and I'll give the movie credit for actually using that because a mm-hmm. lot of times you you know you don't they never even use that they just they just well yeah I want to say in twenty four uh, twenty eight days later and weeks later yeah. the term zombie never came into play right so anyway if if Jerusalem knows about all this shit and and they're there's sort of like they know what's going on. How is it that it's so easy for them to just fly into Jerusalem? Did you find the scenes at the airports to be really weird? Yeah. Like, it was just... It was just this two like, business as usual. This looked like Orlando International mm-hmm. any given day with families going to Disney World. Right. Every fabric, every piece of the fabric of society is crumbling, except for the airports. <laughs> and, and just the, the shots around Jerusalem where people wearing their best just walking around town... You know what? If the zombie apocalypse is happen- happening, even if I'm in the safest part of the planet, I'm still not treating it like it's business as usual. Right. At some point, something's going to get in, well, and it, you need to be able to deal with it. it. Well, it's just interesting to me that, first of all, he gets in there, and he has this big in-depth conversation about the Tenth Man, like you said. And, and I didn't I get no any of that. idea what this is even about. It was something about what? If... If well, nine people vote affirmative for something, the tenth person has to always vote against it. Right. And then it's like, so you're the tenth man. Yes. So what's that so proof? What? So, so that all you said is... nine to one in my book. Right. It, all that means is you voted against the building of the walls, but what does this have to do with anything? And, and the way that they're sort of referencing how historically we haven't reacted to... to, to symbols and things that have happened before and then it's too late like any references the Nazis and Hitler and all this kind of stuff it's like so when we saw this happening we knew there was going to be a zombie outbreak so we built a big wall around our city well those and are then, big fucking walls and too. then after all this first of all yeah granted first of all how you you build your walls which they reference they finished about a week before the outbreak then how do you determine at that point who got in, who got out, how, how how you even explain this to your citizenry, and how is it that Brad Pitt and his crew, or, or I guess it was just one guy at that point, yeah. that that fly into there, Which, and they really sure what happened to that sudden, dude. <laughs> that all of a sudden, the one thing that takes down this entire civilization that you've built up to protect is Muslim with a megaphone. <laughs> Takes, That's sad. The whole thing. I well, don't find that to be that much of a stretch because I Muslim <laughs> with a microphone scares the fuck out of me too. Well, yeah, but, but you know, just that whole it's too loud. They, they, uh, come on, really? Yeah, I know. Just planes the suffer. There's a whole. Yeah, there's an airport. <laughs> planes are coming in, and they've already acknowledged the fact that the zombies react to louder noises. It right. attracts them, and, and even Walking Dead shown that. Sure. The whole point of the, the season two beginner is that. All the zombies were falling a trail because a helicopter flew by. Right. They're mindless, so they're following the sound. Right. And you would have thought that they, 
again, they showed this airport as being a bustling bit of activity. Yeah. And it was Muslim with a microphone well, that the, threw the things into a frenzy? The other, another leap of faith that it just didn't, didn't work for me. Um, but it's one of those ones you just, uh, whatever. I'm sorry, but plane crash, how come... Oh, I hated that scene, every, dude. dude <laughs> one, let, let me go this. One million out of one million plane crashes like that ends in a fire, ball of fire. Right. Except this one. <laughs> come on. And, and I'm, I'm literally going, so you're going to give me the he and handless... Israeli chick are the only two yeah. to survive. Come on. Really? Come on. It was... And of course, they show them... That plane was all kinds of fucked up. The crashing after yeah. Earth got nothing on this no, crash. No, no, his, his seats are ten feet up in the air, sideways. Yeah. And he's his hair's messed up and he's got a piece of metal in him. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That was such... Oh, dude, that yeah, was that horrible. Was, that was overdone. For, for I sure. would rather at that point they not have the plane crash at that point, mm. have it go down, and then have zombies hear it. Right. Or zombies that were on the plane get at the pilots. I could have lived with that. Or just don't give me such a violent crash where I can... Where, where it I, broke I into six believe. pieces on him. <laughs> yeah, where I can actually believe that maybe he did survive it. Yeah, it was the that was horrible, and I and I'm also struggling with. We've seen that this virus spreads quick. Ten seconds. Yeah, he didn't respond quick enough, cutting off that chick's hand for me to have bought that that wouldn't have been in her bloodstream. Uh, I I didn't struggle with that as much. Oh, I, mean, I, I did. It's not so much any different than. Than Rick taking the time to cut off Herschel's leg. And, and that was how was I reconciled actually, it. Which was even longer. It took longer. Yeah. I reconciled it with, I, gave, I forgave Rick and Herschel. I got to forgive this. <laughs> yeah. And he did do it quick. Yeah. But I'm thinking, you've already you've already said it's down to 10 seconds. Right. Early on, they were talking about 15, 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. Now it's 10 seconds. It's gotten that aggressive. Right. Uh, yeah, that, that scene didn't, it, that wasn't so... Much of a stretch for me. But basically because of Walking Dead. Yeah, and, and like I said, that's how I reconciled it. So anyway, Jerusalem goes all to hell. But yet, the airport seems still to be functioning well enough for him to get out. I, I, and <laughs> on, I just, on Air Belarus. Right. Which I found <laughs> funny after our beaver story. I'm like, yeah. wait a second, that's yeah. beaver country. Yes. You got, if they had thrown in some three-foot beavers... That would have been awesome, awesome, dude. Awesome. If that's what the zombies were riding into battle, dude, that would have been perfect. <laughs> three-foot beaver? The killer beaver was zombie-mounted on it. Three-foot zombie beaver. Oh, dude. That would have been awesome. Did you, okay, and you just brought up a great point. What about the animals? I saw one animal in the whole movie. That, that was a fucking chihuahua. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It just it didn't it didn't even go there at all. It didn't address it whatsoever. Right. I think it would have to be addressed at some point. I don't know. Because don't know. the if all of a sudden the battle becomes zombie rat, we're in real trouble. So anyway, he jumps on this flight, which. Seems to be a full flight, minus the two seats that happen to be available for him. Belarus Air is very popular. How they even, like like you said, early on in this film, when they were still in Philadelphia, when, when the family dynamic was still there trying to survive this chaos, 
and they went into the grocery store and they were you saw society breaking down you saw which is exactly I thought they did a good job of that because I think that's exactly what would have happened I love the scenes in the grocery store in yeah. Newark dude with the, when him capping the guy was basically trying to take the stiff from, stuff from his wife and the cop not giving a yeah, shit and the cop him bunting himself up to the cop the cop's like uh uh-uh. uh I'm in survival yeah. mode. I ain't cop anymore. This is just a uniform. <clears throat> right. Um, and that, But yet, and then later on, how did they get all these people onto this Air Belarus plane? You know, it's almost like they did everything but put the uh, the on-time thing on the, well, on the yeah, screen they're, they're, at the Their airport. baggage was perfectly yeah. stowed. And, yeah. and here's my thing. <laughs> if you are on this plane... and. Literally, Jerusalem only started to fall like ten minutes earlier. Yeah. Why did? Where were these people going to go? Right. The way this thing's loaded, you got to assume that they planned on leaving before Jerusalem fell. Yeah. Why? Yeah. This is clearly the safest place to be at this point. Yeah. Either that, or way out in the middle of the woods, in no man's land. Right. Where you can make all the noise you want, and zombie ain't coming. Right. So. Basically, what they found at this point is that he's sort of connected some of the dots. He was told early on, it's, and I thought it was a great line, and I don't know if I can remember it verbatim, but but the doctor that was accompanying them to South Africa. Oh, I love that bit, dude. Um, where he was talking about Mother Nature is, is the most is the best serial killer yep. on the planet, which I thought was just a brilliant mm-hmm. line of dialogue. <clears throat> and... He says you just have to know where to look for the breadcrumbs that she leaves because because like every good serial killer, you have an undying urge to be caught because if you're not caught, then there's no way for anybody to appreciate what you've done. Mm-hmm. And it's basically Mother Nature is the serial killer here, but every good killer will always leave breadcrumbs around for you to find. And sometimes it's in their most vicious acts. Right. Um, So he sort of puts two and two together as he's leaving Jerusalem in a hurry when he notices that there's a couple of individuals that the zombies are just ignoring as if they're not even there. Just running around them. And we're talking about zombies here. I'm not a big fan of the way they portrayed the zombies here. I kind of get why they did it. It sort of fit the whole chaotic, fast-paced thing. But the, these these zombies were almost like superhumans in, in as far as their speed, yeah, and I things like that. that. It, it, it they were very. It was very CGI. I, I mean. found myself thinking the zombies in the end in the World Health headquarters there played out better than what I saw around Jerusalem. At least more more normal, right. more more what you're accustomed to seeing out of a zombie. Um, and the fact that they were so fast and it just played into the whole CGI aspect, which just, eh, yeah. just didn't do it for me. Um, but, but whatever that it's like arguing, why is your vampire sparkling kind of thing? It's just, it's just the way they chose to do it, mm-hmm. whatever. So he decided, they said he needed to get to the world health organization and I'm not even sure where exactly that particular branch had been, but fortunately the plane crash is close, close enough that they can walk. Yeah. Um, or stagger. Um, and then he basically wakes up three days later after the plane crash. Or, or he he manages to stagger with some piece of metal jammed through him with uh, with Luke Skywalker without her hand mm-hmm. there. Um, and then just sort of falls into some sort of 
three-day coma or whatever. It was up. good seeing that Bullet from The Killing, though, has found a new role. Yeah, no <laughs> um, and basically, he's, he's saying that I have this idea. And it's basically that the zombies are ignoring these certain people because the host, whatever is driving these people to become zombies, somehow knows that it needs a... A host for the future, I guess. Yeah, it needs it. It avoids the sick and goes for the healthy. Right. That it, it, it. He suspected that it was terminal, but that said, the problem with the terminal argument is one of the. Then he's remembering the dude in Korea, who only had a bum leg, and the zombies avoided him. So the terminal thing, unless. There was some kind of cancer in the leg, and that was what was making him have a hiccup to it. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be terminal, but from there on out, it became a terminal thing. Right. That if they, if the zombies avoid what's terminal because to them it's not alive anymore. Right. Basically, they see it as basically one of them. You're already dead. Which is another, I guess, sort of twist on it. Um, so basically, you're, t- you're saying that zombies can smell... Potential death? I yeah, that's the way I take it. Zombie can tell in all of it, it with its with its no brain and no no cognitive reasoning that this person has terminal cancer and this person doesn't. And I would I, to take it Walking Dead way. They've already covered this because there wasn't there an episode where they covered themselves in the remains of corpses. Yeah, and wandered out and based on how they got out around the zombies is. They smelled of death, so the zombies thought they were dead. Yeah. Until one of them made a stupid, quick move, and then. What, but in this movie, in this movie, it's just because of the frantic nature of everything, of how fast it moves. I struggled to, to think that it had time to even decipher. I agree with that. They, they, they had already shown that these things were deducing at such a fast level, right? That I didn't buy that they would have instantly. Coming at full run, smelled it and, and, and ignored it. It, right. it made no sense. Right. I, I plus, I think there would have been a lot more people that it would have been ignoring if that was the case. True. Other than just a couple of people. I mean, let's be honest. Parts of Ethiopia would be untouched. <laughs> right. Um, some of the good things about it, certainly, like you said early on in the flick, I thought it played off well. I, I liked that it got to the point pretty quick. Oh, dude! I uh, doesn't waste time. I've said it before. I always dread that like twenty to thirty minutes of a movie where you're farting around to get to the plot, and, and you rarely can point to a point at a certain part of a movie where you say that's where the movie actually began. Mm-hmm. This movie, I could it, it began literally five or ten minutes in. They're in the car. Boom! Mm-hmm. I mean, it's literally they wake up in the morning. He makes some pancakes. They're on the, in the car on the way to work. Dead stop traffic. People start running by like crazy, and then all hell breaks loose. Yeah. And so, yeah, you this one you hit the ground running, for lack of a better way to put it. Right. Um. I did like a, a certain touch. I really liked a lot was the UN ship only wanted to keep essential personnel mm-hmm. because. You're watching it going, you've got all these people, but you can't possibly feed them all. Right. Eventually, you've got to find them someplace to be. Put them in a military compound behind gates 
with armed people, but you can't keep them on a ship. Right. You can't possibly support a full population on a boat. Right. And I really like the fact that they approached that, which is interesting because we've already said they didn't with Jerusalem. Jerusalem, they were letting everybody in. They had their checkpoint. Which is another thing I had a little problem with. It's like, if you if you know what's going on globally, and you've taken the precaution and built this wall around your city, you're letting anybody in. Oh, fuck no. You, you are walling yourself off saying, we win this war. Yeah. We will be the last ones standing. Right. Ironically enough, the Jews will, <laughs> will be the ones to stay. Well, it's that way in sports too, isn't it? Oh, wait, no, there aren't many big athletes. Banking. They're great at that. <laughs> they are great at that. And lawsuits are a little litigious. It's <laughs> true. Uh, so I, I know it sounds like we're, we're finding a whole, There are a lot of flaws with this movie. I, do, I want to reiterate, I like this movie way more than I thought it was going to do. It's one of the more enjoyable movies I've seen this was, summer. It was entertaining. It, it, it is the pure definition of summer blockbuster movie. No question. Um, and after all of the delays and the troubles that you heard about and Brad Pitt and the director just at odds constantly... It, it turned out a lot better than you could have hoped for. Yep. Um, if you'd have rolled this out any other time of year, I would probably be completely destroying these little little things. But it seems to understand what it is. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a movie in the middle of June, mindless entertainment, with a lot of flaws. And I can't give it more than a two and a half, because it's sort of where it falls. But it's an entertaining two and a half. It's a two and a half that sort of leans to a three. And I'm going to give it a, a solid three. Um, from an entertainment perspective, it, it, it does give you a lot of stuff. But you definitely have to allow for a lot of... Suspend your disbelief. Because yeah. as soon as you start thinking about it, there are plot holes aplenty. Sure. But if you just sit there and, and really get into... This whole idea of a global epidemic and how people would respond, it plays out well enough to me. And read the book and understand that it's nothing like this. But the book is highly entertaining. Yeah, I, just, apparently I do need to sit down with this one. Um, you know, it jumps all over the globe talking about, talking to different people, um, sort of like a reporter style. Like, yeah, this is what happened here during the zombie war and all this kind of stuff. And this is what's happened since. So it's, it's, it's interesting. I like the book a lot. But if, if, if you're a fan of the book, going to this movie expecting the book, just don't. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, two and a half to three for me. For me, it's a three. I I, I could easily watch it again. Um, I may see it again. There, there, I won't pay to see it in the big screen again. There's nothing there. And that's there. not to say don't. Oh, no, I recommend seeing it on the big screen the first time. Yeah. There were some shots that really will play out better on the big screen. Right. The downside of seeing it on the big screen is the CGI at times is as bad as we thought it was going to be. Yeah. And it really looks that way on the big screen. And really, outside of Brad Pitt, there aren't a lot of characters that really serve any big purpose. Oh, no. The whole family thing just... 
unnecessary. Well, yeah, it, it, they, they are unnecessary. It, they're, other plot there really is an unnecessary character in this that we haven't even discussed. And that's the little Latino kid that they pick up along the way. <laughs> yeah. Because the only reason they pick him up is their parent is... His parents, parents let them into in the apartment for one yeah. night, yeah. and they decide to stay. And the parents get eaten. Kid so gets away. So how did the kid get away? I have no idea. <laughs> All I can figure is they already showed that he went and hid in the bathroom with the yeah. daughter there at one yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe he hid in the bathroom. Oh, I do have to say one fly really hated in this movie. Okay, the scene on the plane when zombieism spreads. Mm-hmm. That little curtain. Really yeah. is why the zombies didn't know there were people in the front cabin. Right. Really? Right. This is this is your device. They're climbing the walls of Jerusalem. Yeah. You're putting suitcases up to block them. Right. That ain't going to work. Right. Something yeah. tells me. Nor did it. No, it didn't. But it still took a little longer for zombie to realize somebody was out there. Right. These, this was the quietest flight I've ever heard. Consider the amount of... of- Panic and chaos at the initial it went beginning. Dead silent, dude. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, everybody's just like, "Oh, enjoy your flight." Right. And they, evidently, they were enjoying <laughs> their their warm towels and the beverage service. <laughs> yeah. so, when they're flying to God knows where. <laughs> this this is one of those ones that may that may uh, deserve a uh, a live commentary treatment. We do have this to do one, one of the do those at some point. And yes, this, this movie might, we could get really snarky yeah, at times with this one. This one plays off. Yep. All right, that's going to end it. Um, I think we will reconvene in a couple of weeks. Those weeks, and I believe that will be Pacific Rim. Is it not? Oh no, wait. It might be the Lone Ranger. It's the Lone Ranger. Oh, it's the Lone so Ranger. you you've heard us after for After Earth, and now you're going to hear the other movie. We've gone on record as saying we are couldn't be less interested in the movie, but we'll see for we'll you, our fan. Yeah, we'll take the bullet for you, our fan. Our fan. Yeah, good yeah. point. And we'll throw in an epic for uh, Velvet Head. Yeah, who listening. isn't even listening yet? Oh, because he's still using some device. Yeah. Well, okay. What was with Lazy. the cell phones they had in this movie? They may have been satellite phones. <laughs> yeah. But Jesus Christ, my Nokia I had in 99 was an upgrade over these things. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that she wouldn't have got the reception he got. Jesus he Christ, dude. Uh, all right. That'll do it. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Late. Late.